0: Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The prophet Isaiah, he had a dramatic calling into his ministry. In a vision, he sees the Lord whose holiness immediately puts Isaiah in a state of fear because of his unworthy life before the perfect and holy God. But God does something cool. He cleanses Isaiah of his sin by using a coal from the altar which stood before the Lord and then ask, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God had prepared Isaiah for ministry by first revealing himself to Isaiah, which immediately made Isaiah understand his sinful state before the perfect and holy God. Then he cleanses Isaiah, but does not command Isaiah to go. Rather, he asks the question, whom shall I send? Now, the question is obvious. It's Isaiah. But notice the Lord waits for Isaiah to make his decision. Now, some may read this and have a hard time trying to figure out how this is relevant to us in our day. Well, when we look through the scriptures, we see a similar process where God introduces himself to a person and scares them half to death with his awesome power, and in some cases, such as Isaiah and Ezekiel and John, etc., the Lord appears personally to them and then he commissions them. It's an introduction to the true and living God that forces the person to realize the reality of God and his holiness that renders even the most righteous person feeling completely wicked. And this is effective in what we call ministry or service, because we need to understand the reality of God and His authority and our place at His feet. It's not our kingdom, it's His kingdom. And we are bond servants or slaves to God and His will. And that's what ministry is. It's serving the Lord, doing what He tells us. Think of Abraham and how God used him and how God appeared to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 9 and went on to make Solomon great until Solomon went on his own weird path. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you who were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses those whom he wants for his ministry, from people who are not always the greatest people. You think of Jesus' A-team, the apostles, hardly leadership material, yet they turned the world upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the key. The Holy Spirit in us, guiding us through each day according to his will. That's ministry. And everyone who has genuinely received Jesus has the Holy Spirit. And I believe there are many in the professing church who claim to be believers, but are actually unbelievers under the deception of the devil who has caused them to think that they have received Jesus, but they haven't. The devil is keeping them from the Holy Spirit by making them think that their quote-unquote religion is all they need, when in fact their religion does nothing for them that has eternal value. Second Corinthians four, four. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. On the other hand, I believe there are many in the church who are genuine believers, but who are totally ignorant of the scriptures and the calling that awaits them. I've met people like this at a few events held a few times a year where men gather for a couple of days and focus on the Lord. The women also have their events where they are gathered as well. I participated in several of these men's gatherings over the years and met many great, humble believers. But after spending time with them and discussing spiritual things, I realized they have not been taught the whole counsel of God. And some of them have not even been taught the basics in Scripture, and they go to church. But despite their lack of spiritual knowledge, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is sufficient for ministry. Ephesians 4.11 He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The word saint in the original language is hagios, and it refers to something holy. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, hagios pneuma. So if a person has the hagios pneuma dwelling in them, they are considered hagios, or a saint, as we translate it. So equipping the saints, or the spirit-filled believers, for the ministry does not mean sending them off to Bible college or seminary. That can be a path for a believer to take, but when we look at what ministry really is, we find a very simple definition, service. It's simply serving, using our lives to build up the kingdom of God by serving. So we could paraphrase where it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to say, to provide the Spirit-filled believers what they need to serve Jesus by serving others. So the same word used in verse 12, translated ministry, is used in a number of other places in the New Testament. And one example is in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, where it says, But Martha, when distracted with much serving, there's your word, she went up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So this kind of puts a different spin on the word ministry. My wife was getting her hair cut one day at a salon, and there was a guy working there, and I started up a conversation because he seemed like a decent guy, and we got on the topic of God, and he told me in kind of a cocky way, I'm a minister. And I said, cool. And we left shortly after that, but the guy was really proud of that title, and it really showed. But really, a minister of the gospel is simply one who serves Jesus in whatever capacity he, Jesus, has called them into. And if that is a stay-at-home mom, great, stay at home. Serve the Lord by serving your family. If it's a Sunday school teacher, great. Serve the Lord by serving those little kids. And what I'm getting at is the title of ministers often used with a man-made definition that says something to the effect of a person serving in a position of leadership. So some governments have ministers of defense, for example, with a specific role and defined duties. But in the biblical sense, Martha is a good example of a minister, even though she's complaining about it. She's serving others sacrificially, and that's what Ephesians 4:11 and 12 is all about equipping believers with the tools to serve Jesus by serving others. And deacons are similar, kind of the same thing. If you're ever at a church and someone is introduced as deacon so-and-so, then realize that the biblical role of a deacon in that situation may be taken out of context. Deacons are grunts. They're the ones serving the body by doing the grunt work, such as waiting on tables, moving chairs, etc. That is what the role of a deacon is in the scriptures. They are humble servants who labor at church. That's their role. They are not these exalted authority figures, so prominent in many churches. Ask one of these exalted types to help a lady change her tire in the parking lot and see the kind of response you get. That'll tell you if they're a true deacon or not. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This new life a believer lives when they receive Christ changes things. We are now being influenced by the Holy Spirit, by the Word, and by others who are supposed to be building us up in the faith. And that's an important part of living as a child of God, building up one another. When I was a brand new believer, our church was pretty small, and, but it was a spiritual gold mine for me. There were so many people who were totally different than what I was used to. So many of these people who are now becoming our friends were delivered from very dark circumstances and gave all the credit— to Jesus. And they spoke the name of Jesus like he was their best friend, a real person. And I was not used to that. Jesus was always a distant figure to me, but not to these new friends of mine. Another thing about this church is that nearly everyone did something in ministry, whether it was trivial in the eyes of others or really cool. And one guy who's a genius, PhD type, would come in and set up chairs. And this was his contribution to the church, and it was needed as well as appreciated. So I was interested in doing something for the church, but I didn't know what to do. So I just began doing whatever I could at the time, and eventually it led into the Spanish ministry, which I'm still doing today since the early 2000s. The process to make me a minister or servant was a pretty quick one. I wanted to serve, and I did it joyfully. I like serving. But it was not all easy. There were headaches, irritating people, things done in ways that I didn't like, resulting in the, quote, I can do it better, unquote, attitude, which didn't go well for me. But all the while, God was equipping me for the work of the ministry. But my problem was the same problem that plagues the church today and has forever. My flesh. Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So to make a long story short, I served in ministry for several years thinking I was faithfully doing the will of God, but I was wrong. I was choosing the ministry that I felt more comfortable with. So for example, I really enjoyed men's ministry. I'm comfortable ministering to men because I am what I would describe as a typical guy. So a lot of other typical guys in our congregation can relate to a lot of my experiences because they have them too. I felt this is where I was best suited for ministry because I was good at it, and that was the problem. I thought I was good at it. But realistically, God wasn't directing me into it. Rather, he was continually telling me Spanish ministry. So all those events I poured my heart into for the men were things done in the flesh, and that does not please God. But when the Spanish ministry launched, miraculously, I might add, that's a whole other story, I knew I was in for a difficult experience, and it was. But the difficulty was necessary to keep me on my knees, crying out to the Lord, help me, I can't do this. And then I realized, that's ministry. Only God can do it, not me. Second Corinthians nine. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, ministry for the believer is simply following that path that God puts you on. It's not your path to create. It's God's path for you, and if you try to do it without him, you will fail in your mission to do your part in the kingdom like I did with the men's ministry. It looked good. Guys were thanking me and telling me I did a good job, so naturally I thought it was pleasing to God. And God did his work in these events. But for me personally, it was my own path that I had created, and that's why it didn't last. So to be equipped for the ministry, we must have the Holy Spirit guiding us. That path will likely be difficult and frustrating because we are battling the darkness, and there are those who don't like us entering their territory, and that path will likely be something that you're not good at, so you cannot take credit for the work that God does, and that temptation is everywhere. And it forces us to rely on God continually. So remember, to be equipped for ministry means we need to pour out our lives for God and for others until God takes us home. There's no retiring from ministry. It's a divine privilege to serve Jesus and others, and we will be rewarded eternally for those things we faithfully did as God called us to do them. Thank you.